0: Hi, welcome to Bread. We're an open-minded, spirit-filled, non-denominational church. This summer, we're slowing down to talk from the heart. These talks aim at nourishing our faith in Jesus and helping us return to the simplicity of the gospel so that we can live freely and lightly into the purposes God has for us. We hope you enjoy these summer talks. Amen. You may be seated. I'm going to steal this from Tavia, if you don't mind. And I hope you chose your seats wisely, because now that is yours for the rest of our time here. So good luck. Um, if we haven't met before, my name is Raul, and I work here for Bread. And I am happy to be with you. Um, The last two weeks, we've been in a series called Summer Talks. And Ed said, you guys can speak about whatever you want. And so we thought, okay, this is our chance. We're going to convert everyone to Star Wars fans. Um, Just kidding. But I am thrilled uh, to speak this morning from what I felt has been resonating in me the last couple months. Um, I'm in seminary. And it's great. About half of what I learn is actually useful in the day-to-day. What I would really like is a class on how to figure out live stream, projections, all that (laughs) stuff. But if anybody wants to know about a guy named Athanasius, I got you. Um, But this talk first bubbled up in me as I was studying Hebrews 12, 1 through 3 for an assignment. And I took away something that I hope to leave with you. And it's this, that faith comes first. And so here is our short passage for today, short like our time in this room. Amen. (laughs) Um, This is Hebrews 12, 1 through 3. It says, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Have you ever been convinced of a better way of doing something? When Ash and I were first engaged, we were looking for apartments, and she was adamant that the apartment that we would move into had to have a dishwasher. And I was convinced that dishwashers were a luxury, I believed that they wasted water, and I believed that they didn't really clean dishes that well. And I think this is partly because I grew up in an immigrant family, The only dishwashers we had were our hands. I was the dishwasher, though not often. Um, And so I was resistant to this at first. But when we eventually moved into our first place together with the dishwasher, I saw the potential that it had. I saw that it actually cleaned and polished dishes better uh, better than I ever cared to do. I saw how much easier it was to clean up after having people over. Instead of having a pile in the sink, that pile was getting washed in the dishwasher. And I quickly learned that it actually uses a lot less water than I thought. I was convinced that having a dishwasher was now the better way to clean dishes, and we've had one ever since. And similarly, Hebrews is trying to convince us of its own better way. If I can summarize the message of Hebrews, it's this. Jesus is better. The church hearing, this, hearing these words from Hebrews were converts to Christianity. And as Jews living within the Roman Empire, this made them a minority. But their new commitment to Jesus now, made, now meant that they were a minority within a minority. And so as a super minority, they're facing social persecution on more than just one front. Not just from the Romans, who in other parts of the empire were using Christians as torches to light up gardens at night. Now they're facing persecution from their own ethnic group. And all of this is causing some Christians within the church to abandon shit. They're ditching Jesus because it's all getting a bit too difficult. Their family relationships are strained. People are refusing to do business with them. They're hearing about Christians being imprisoned or killed elsewhere. And they may have been thinking, I didn't sign up for this. They're weary. They're losing heart. And this morning, we may have arrived feeling like this church. We're enduring a pandemic. We may be fatigued with the state of Christianity in America. The social and racial turmoil has left us feeling burned out and exhausted. Violence has made us anxious in spaces that we're supposed to feel safe in. And add to all of this our own personal battles. And you may be here and it feels like maybe your faith and energy have been extinguished. Some of us have maybe even entertained quitting faith altogether. Maybe you've been around, but you gave up on faith a long time ago. Or maybe you're all in on faith, but have been tempted to dabble in things that you may have given up when you first made that commitment to Jesus. Well, this letter in Hebrews is a summons to put our faith in Jesus again. For others of us, it may be a summons to put our faith in Jesus for the very first time. But these first ten chapters in Hebrews... Build the case for why Jesus is better. It says that he is the better priest, that he was without sin, he lived in perfect union with God, he came to bring us from isolation into that union by washing away our sins once and for all, meaning that you and I have a clean slate, that our sins are forgiven, that there's nothing separating us from God. Hebrews also says that, that Jesus is a better liberator or the better Moses that he brings us out from an eternal bondage to death and liberates us into a heavenly life and freedom in the here and now. It isn't just far away, but it is here and now. We can experience this now, meaning that in Jesus, we've been set free from our old life of decay and aimlessness, and we now have a new identity, a new purpose, And lastly, Hebrews argues that Jesus is a better power, that he can do infinitely more for us than any angel or spiritual being can do. And I get it. We live in LA. Everyone is spiritual. And in a way, I love that because it means that people are open. People are hungry. People are looking for more. And in Jesus, we have access to more than anything, spirits, stones, or stars, can offer. He can do infinitely more than anything we can ask or think of. And we can know all this about Jesus, but it's not simply enough to know of him. Hebrews calls us beyond knowing into faith, faith in him. And faith in theory is an attractive quality. Those with faith, wherever it's directed, are often looked up to. George Michael, The Weeknd, Bonnevar all have songs related to faith. And you don't necessarily have to call yourself a Christian to say that faith is a good thing. We've put the word faith over our kitchen doorways because the word makes us feel nice and warm. It, it, it reminds us that there's something more, that we're made for more. And also faith is something that we exercise daily, often passively. As we think about how we arrived at church this morning... You arrived, grabbed your coffee, took your seats. Most of us didn't check to see if church got canceled. Most of us didn't taste our coffee and check if it was poisoned. And we didn't check our seat to see if it was made out of cake, right? Because we exercised faith. And faith is trust or confidence that someone or something is always true. It's having the assurance it's having assurance even when we can't be certain with our senses. We've never seen God, but we're confident that he is real and we know that he's good. This is called faith. And it's what I want to talk about today. Hebrews 11, 1, it says, faith is a confidence in what we hope for. It says, faith is the assurance about what we do not see. Faith is a conviction that what we hope for is guaranteed and real, and it relates to what remains unseen. In other words, faith is trusting that something is real, even when we can't see it. And our passage here, Hebrews 12, 1 through 3, is the pinnacle of what the author has been trying to say the last few chapters, and what the passage is saying has more to do with Jesus than with our attempts to be a good Christian or muster up faith. Here's what the passage is not saying. It's not saying you better get your faith in order because all of the witnesses in heaven are counting on you to get it right. And it's not saying your faith is hanging on whether or not you throw away that thing that no one else knows about. And it's not saying look to Jesus and all of your problems will be solved. I think these ways of reading this passage dismiss the stories of the biblical characters who demonstrated faith in chapter 11. Chapter 11 talks about people who practiced faith, and and it's often referred to in older Bible translations as the Hall of Faith, and that's just Christians trying to be trendy. The Hall of Faith, but what I refer it to is what I would call, if I could title it myself, I would call it regular people trusting God. Abraham, for example, didn't get it right. He made numerous mistakes. He misunderstood God several times, and yet he's called the father of faith. Or Rahab, a former sex worker, she practiced faith without having her lifestyle changed, and yet she's included in Jesus' genealogy. And so what we get from these accounts is this, that we don't have to fully understand it. We don't have to get it right all the time. We don't even have to be theological experts to practice this kind of faith. And before we go spring cleaning and throwing off everything that hinders and that sin that so easily entangles, we have to remember that in context, that this is a byproduct. It is the result of faith put in the right order. And I'm not saying that we should leave that part out or that we should overlook it. We shouldn't be cozying up with things that pull us away from God, and we shouldn't be snuggling up with things that make us less of ourselves. What I want to draw our attention to is that faith comes first. And the message of Hebrews and the rest of the Bible before anything else is this. Take up faith in God. Take up faith in God. Faith is aimed, it is rooted, it is directed in God's reliable and unconditional commitment to his people. And so before believing the right things and behaving the right way, before it all comes, faith. And we may have been given a version, of Christianity, a version of Christianity that says, do good first, get well first, get your ducks in a row, and then put on faith. And it's often how this passage is presented, isn't it? Let go of the, let go of the things that trip you up, and then put on faith. But if we step back... And we see this passage in the chapter before. What they're saying is faith is the very first step. All of these people in the hall of faith are, were confident in God's loving commitment to them. They were assured of God's goodness. They were convinced that God would do what he said he would do. And within all of this, the main point of this passage is Jesus. Jesus. Remember, the argument that Hebrews is building is Jesus is better. Jesus is the better way. He is the center. He is the core. And so for faith to work, Jesus has to be at the center. But it's often a step that people miss, isn't it? Last year, we were putting up a shelf in our apartment, and we didn't have a stud finder, so we just drilled into the wall and thought, This is going to be great. We hung up our shelf. We put all of our beautiful vintage glasses that we got um, just from antiquing here and there. And moments later, what happened is what we call the great crash of 2021. (laughs) The shelf gave out and all of the glasses just came crashing down into the kitchen floor. We lost most of our glasses because we missed an essential step. We missed the anchors. We missed the stud. And what I'm saying here is that faith without Jesus misses the point. We miss the point when our faith involves, uh, when our faith involves caring more about being right than loving well. We miss this step in our faith when our faith is centered on our own preservation, but it neglects our communities. And we miss this step when our faith involves more about when our faith is more about doing all the churchy stuff and we forget that Jesus is the one who we do all of this for. And so the, he, the author of Hebrews is saying, don't skip this step because Jesus is the one who holds our faith together. And this is why he says, fix your eyes on Jesus. The word fix in the Greek only appears in two places in the, in the New Testament, and it means to look away from one thing and concentrate on another. And also keep in mind that the image behind this passage is that, of, uh, is that of a race, of a marathon. And I'm no athlete. I went on a run for the very first time like a month ago. And I just ran for 20 minutes and I was like, I'm never doing this again. <laughs> it was miserable. But I do know, I'm no athlete, but I do know that runners run best when they're looking ahead of them. Runners avoid looking up at the bleachers, they avoid looking up at the clouds, they avoid checking their phones, they look ahead, they keep their eyes fixed. And in the same way, when we concentrate on God's faithfulness, we can trust that just because something appears one way doesn't mean that it actually is. When we concentrate on his goodness, we can know that he works all things for the good of those who love him. When we concentrate on the power of God, we can know that even the most stubborn and unchanging people, ourselves included, can be transformed. And when we focus first on Jesus, we can trust him without needing the results because the person, not the perks, are the core of our faith. So, faith comes first. And so, why Jesus? I remember being in an alpha group um, a couple years ago, and somebody brought up a very fair question. They said, Why are Christians obsessed with Jesus? And so, why Jesus? Notice how Jesus is described in verse 2. It says, Jesus is the pioneer and perfecter of faith. First, he's described as a pioneer, or what the First Nations version of the Bible says, calls the trailblazer. And in my opinion, pioneers are often romanticized. If you actually think about it, they had it pretty rough. I think of the Donner Party, who in the 1800s were uh, attempted to cross the Sierra Nevadas, but got stuck in the mountains. And they were trapped for months in, in the winter time, and they eventually resorted to cannibalism. I also think of the first astronauts and what comes to mind is that photo of Neil Armstrong on the moon. But people often forget the intense training that he had to go through for years and the amount of studying that he had to go through before even arriving in space. Or also think of Martin Luther King, the pioneer in the civil rights movement, and it's often forgotten that his house was bombed with his wife and children inside. And so the work of the pioneer is no easy task. It's no walk in the park. What makes pioneers honorable is that they endured what was risky and difficult so that others don't have to. And this is who Jesus is. He is the pioneer who makes a way for us to live into the life that we could never have attained on our own. He endured the cross, he was betrayed, he saw his friends abandon him, and he could do nothing for the women that were loyal to him. And yet through all of this, Jesus paved the road for us to take up faith and follow him into the kingdom that is here and yet to come. And so a pioneer is someone who goes before. And what I want to remind us of this morning is that Jesus is ahead of you. Jesus is ahead of you. Secondly, Jesus is described as the perfecter, the one who brings to the goal, the one who brings to completion. Jesus doesn't just get us to the starting point, but he leads us to the end. He leads us to completion. He's the one who carries us to the finish line. And this should bring to mind Paul's words where it says, Jesus is faithful to finish what he started in you. And there may be delays, there may be disruptions, but if Jesus is the pioneer and perfecter, then we can be confident that you and I will be okay. He's not going to leave us hanging high and dry. He's not going to abandon us. He's the one who leads us to the finish line. And we need Jesus to be both. If we take him only as a pioneer, then what we're saying is, thanks Jesus for what you did, but I can do the rest on my own. And if we take him as only the perfecter, we imply that we can earn our way to the starting line. But neither of these will do. We need Jesus to be the bracket holding our lives together. Jesus is the opening title and the credits. And I had to Google this one, but he is the first verse and the final course. But if any of us are going through a particularly difficult time, this truth is especially for us. A major theme within this letter is the centrality and supremacy of Jesus. And it is as if the author is saying that Jesus is above what we may be going through. Jesus is better than any quick fix that we may want to settle for. And he's more reliable than what, than what we can see with our own eyes. And so you and I can put our faith in him. This is who Jesus is for us. He's the one who sees us through every trouble. He walks with us through every disappointment. He guides us through the fog and uncertainty. And when we put our faith in him, what is written in Isaiah 43 can be true for us. It says, when you pass through the waters, I will be with you. When you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. So fixing our eyes on Jesus doesn't solve our problems but it enables us to go through them. And faith isn't the guarantee that things will get better, but it's the guarantee that Jesus' presence will make a difference for how we show up. And so what do we do with all of this? How do we boost our faith in Jesus? And my challenge for us this morning is this. Let's look again at Jesus. Let's commit ourselves to lean into the Gospels, to absorb the words of Jesus, to fill our souls with the stories of Jesus, and to try to do this with others. Because what increases my faith is hearing about what Jesus is doing and what he has done. And so let's share stories among ourselves about what he's doing, because this raises our faith. A few weeks ago, a friend of ours here told me about a recent doctor visit that they had. And they had gone to the doctor because they were in a really bad uh, car accident that left them with some damage in their neck. And they were assigned, prescribed, I don't know, um, these kind of neck exercises that they were supposed to be doing. And the pain was gradually getting worse. Um, and this person, this friend of ours, had come to an Alpha Day away, and received prayer, and had a powerful experience, and the following Sunday, came up to the front, had a powerful experience, and that following Monday, when they went to go see the doctor, the doctor said, hey, I'm really proud of you for doing your exercises, like your neck is fully recovered, and This friend of ours had to admit, actually, I hadn't been doing the exercises all that well. I've just been getting prayer. And so this is what Jesus does. This is the grace and power of Jesus. So next week, we start a new series called Jesus with People. And throughout this series, can I encourage us to spend a bit more time um, in these stories that we talk about? As we see Jesus, our faith increases, and we shed the things that trip us up, and we do exciting things for his kingdom. And our world needs people of faith, faith even as small as a mustard seed. Um, So with that, if I can have the team come up.